Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Guys, what's up? Welcome to Young Adults. Glad you guys are here tonight. Man, we had a great week uh, last week for our Friend Week here at Young Adults, and we do that every semester, and so glad. uh, If you were here last week at Friend Week, thanks for uh, coming out. And uh, man, we've got four gatherings left. After tonight, we've got four gatherings left this semester. And so, man, we're gonna do our best to make them count. And tonight, we are talking about drunkenness and soberness. So drunkenness and soberness. Uh, last week, we, uh, we've, uh, we broke for friend week, but Jared talked about gossip and restraint a couple weeks ago. And so we're talking about drunkenness and soberness. Tonight, we're talking about pride and humility. Next week, my man Jake Pylan, you guys might have saw him over here. Good looking dude. He's right in there. Uh, he's speaking next week, so we're excited to have him. And uh, he's going to be speaking on pride and humility. But tonight, uh, with our topic, I think there's three things that we could all agree upon as we enter into a discussion tonight. And the first thing is this, is that you all want to make good decisions in your life. I would say that if you all looked in the mirror and you said, okay, I want to make the best decisions that I can possibly make, you would say yes to that. The other thing is this, is that if God is real, right, if God exists, then we would probably say, well, I would like to, if he is my author and my creator, I would like to honor him in my life and I would like to live a life that pleases him. And the third thing that uh, I think we'd agree upon uh, for most of us, all right, unless you're just kind of boring, is that you want to have fun in life, right? Can we say that in church? Somebody say amen. We want to have some fun in life. No boring Christians, right? But we want to have some fun in life. We want to have some joy in life. We would agree upon that. And so I have a little bit of a funny story to tell you as we get started. And there's certain things you should um, tell your spouse, but when you like when you're going to marry somebody. Uh, and I actually in high school I had this thing uh, happen to me where uh, you guys know what like night terrors are. I don't know if they're. Like, I don't know if I, I'm self-diagnosing myself, but I'll tell you this story and you can decide. But in high school one night, I, I was having a dream and I felt like someone was getting me, all right? And uh, so fight or flight, you guys know I'm trying to fight. I'm not gonna fly in my dream. And so I had a dream as I'm laying there in bed and uh, my dad was a police officer and so he sleeps with a gun next to uh, his bed. And I had a, I'm like, I thought someone's getting me. So I hit the desk that's next to my bed and I get up and I just start swinging on it. And in the middle of the night, I'm just, oh yeah, come on baby, I'm getting it on my desk. And I actually cracked my knuckle open. My whole house wakes up, my whole family. Uh, did my punches look okay? Was that good form? Um, and so I, I, I woke my whole fam- family up. My dad pulled his gun on me in the middle of my house thought someone was broken in. Uh, and so there's things that like you might share that if you're going to marry somebody. You might share that, hey, I have, like, I know we're going to be sharing a bed now. Like, I, I just want you to know I've had a night terror before. Uh, didn't tell my wife. Don't know why I didn't think about it. Within our first year of marriage, probably within our first six months, I had another dream. And uh, this time, someone was getting at my feet, okay? And my feet were tangled up. I'm stressed in the dream. I'm stressed out. My feet are tangled up. And so I do what anyone does. If someone is trying to take you and you are getting grabbed by your feet, you start donkey kicking. I just need you to know that. I won't show you what my donkey kick form looks like, but it's better than my punching form. So I can tell you that much. And uh, so I start donkey kicking and I'm, I'm getting this person. I'm giving them the business in my dream, right? They're getting it. And uh, so Three big donkey kicks, boom, boom, boom. I give three big donkey kicks and I wake up and I'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm breathing hard, I'm heavy, and I'm starting to come back to reality. I'm starting to sober up. And uh, I look, and my wife is off of our bed. All the sheets are off of our bed, comforter and all. She's the opposite direction on the floor. Oh my gosh, Logan, what's happening? I, what do you tell her, right? Hey, thanks for marrying me. You can't go back on that now, so uh, you're in. Uh, but uh, I did do that. That's a true story. And so um, when you get married, don't donkey kick your spouse out of bed. But uh, I was not in my most sober state of mind uh, at that time. And uh, sometimes it's funny like that, but sometimes this is a topic that as we talk about being sober-minded and as we talk about drunkenness, it's actually quite serious. It's actually quite serious. And so when we look at a topic like this, I think what's thing is interesting is that as a society, we celebrate sobriety for people. If someone has entered into a point of addiction where it has caused problems and pain in their lives and the lives of the people who are around them, we celebrate their sobriety. Like we do that and we should, like rightfully so. We should celebrate that in people's lives when they've had victory over an addiction. I mean, praise God for that. But we also should celebrate Sober living, right? Being sober-minded before it ever comes to an point of addiction. That we should celebrate that. And I think as a culture, we, we, we tiptoe. And, we, and we, we kind of like bait at the edge. And it's like, no, we need to celebrate that at the front end. And so when we enter into discussion about drunkenness and about soberness, especially when it comes to church, I think there's probably a lot of preconceived notions. There's a lot of thoughts and opinions and ideas floating out there. And what our goal is tonight is to define what is drunkenness from a biblical perspective. And then what is soberness, to be sober-minded from a biblical perspective and see why does that matter? Why would that be important in our lives? And so when we look at a biblical definition of drunkenness, really what it means is this, it's to be in a state of intoxication, to be in an intoxicated state. Elsewhere in scripture we see drunkenness or we see to be drunk with wine, but it is a state of intoxication. And really what it means is that we have a diminished control over our mental and physical body, that we have a diminished amount of control over our mental and physical body. We've lost control. Like when we look at the outline of biblical usage with this word and when we see drunk with wine or drunkenness, that this is what it's talking about very clearly, that we've lost control over the situations around us and over our own body. And so as we look at drunkenness, you might have the question of like, why is that a sin though? Right? Like, why, did, why, why is that a sin? Like, did, didn't God create alcohol? Like, didn't he create us with the ability to become inebriated? Like, why is that wrong? Is it just a killjoy? Like, we're thinking, well, God's given us a lot of good things. God has given us access to so many good things. God has given us access to, you know, whatever it may be, sex, money, fame, these different things that, that can be good, can be utilized for the kingdom of God, that can be great things with parameters, with sober thinking. These can be good things, but God has given us parameters around everything that happens. And when it comes to alcohol, when it comes to drunkenness, we need to proceed with caution and understand what does God's word say in our life, like how can we apply God's word to our lives? And so drunkenness is this, it's a state of losing control and diminished control. And God has given us parameters in regards to this area of our life. And so why is it sinful? Why is it wrong? Well, the first thing I think is we look at when it comes to drunkenness 
and losing your ability to control yourself is it's wrong because of this. Anything that takes over our mind, our will, and our emotions is a false God. Anything that takes control of our mind, will, and emotions except for God himself, God the Father, that is a false God. It just is. And when we look at it, like if you were sitting in health class and you learned about alcohols, it's classified as a drug, it's a depressant. And we don't need to go into the textbook. Some of y'all are teachers in the room and you've done the, the, the first aid certification a million times. You're like, I can classify that. I know exactly what it is. Like alcohol, when it affects us, what it does is as it enters into our bloodstream and as it travels to our brain, it actually begins to change the neurotransmitter levels in our brains, thus affecting so much about who we are in our makeup. That's what alcohol does to you. That's, that's scientific, that's factual, is that it changes the way that our brain is actually functioning. And now, when we look at this word drunkenness in scripture, you see the theme here is that it's a loss of control, right? Your will, your mind, your emotions are being altered. And I think that this word for drunkenness extends into anything that really alters our state of being. Anything that alters any type of drug, any type of product that we can consume that is altering who we are as a person from who God created us to be and thinking in the way that God created us to think. So as we look at alcohol, this extends to things like smoking weed, that as you, as you smoke weed, that what happens is the THC that's in that actually goes to receptor sites all throughout your brain and it begins to very rapidly alter the way that you are thinking and alter the way that you are acting. And these receptor sites, they're all over your brain. So that's why it has such a drastic effect on you. And so I really do believe that when we look at the biblical usage of drunkenness, it extends to any form of substance or product that is taking us from the thinking the way God created us to think and altering that and us losing our will and our ability to control in situations. So when we look at things like alcohol, it has the ability to alter our way of thinking. That, like, it can become a false god for us. The second thing is this. Why is drunkenness sinful? Well, alcohol, no doubt, has the ability to untether us from reality. So if we are using alcohol or any type of drug to untether ourselves from reality, that's very dangerous because we're not perceiving things the way that God created them to be. We don't wanna be untethered from reality. The second thing is this, is that if you can only have joy in your life, if you can only have fun in your life, because of a substance, that has become an idol. So if you're relying upon something to let you escape from reality, and you're relying on something to provide you joy in your life that only God should be able to provide, God is the provider of peace. God is the provider of joy, the provider of happiness. And so anything that we're using and relying upon to escape us from that is an idol. See how those two are very similar? A false God and an idol. Why is, why is drunkenness sinful? What's the third thing? Well, because scripture barely very plainly t tells us that drunkenness is not wise. In, in Proverbs 21, it says this, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. It's so easy to get led astray, right? And that lacks wisdom in our life. Drunkenness is a sin for those reasons because it's easy to become an idol, because it's a false god. 
because it's unwise. So what's the opposite of that? What is sobriety? And as we looked at drunkenness, when we look at sobriety, when we look at what it means to be sober-minded, we see that in scripture repeatedly. What does it mean to be sober-minded? This actually extends far past just the state of being legally sober. You can be sober legally and not be living in a sober-minded way. You could, by definition of the law of, the, of Springfield, Missouri, the United States, wherever, you could be legally sober and not be acting in a sober-minded way. Because what does it mean when we look at sober-minded in Scripture, when we look at what it means to be sober, what it means is to not be in a state of intoxication, to be in a state of sobriety, but further than that, it means to be calm and collected in spirit. Do y'all want that in your life? Do you wanna be calm and collected in spirit? And I'm sitting here thinking through my week and I'm like, I haven't been sober-minded in all of my thinking even today and yesterday and the week leading up to this, that sobriety extends much further than just not being legally intoxicated, but to be calm and collected in the spirit. Sobriety is really important. Why does it matter? I wanna read to you 1 Peter 5, 8. It says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Seeking someone to devour. I love that Craig Rochelle, he says it like this. I think it's in his his new book in one of the chapters, Winning the War on Your Mind. It says, uh, the most effective thing that Satan has done against us is to convince us that he doesn't exist. The most effective thing Satan can do in your life to destroy you is to convince you that he doesn't even exist. But I can tell you that there is a spiritual battle going on for your soul. That there's a spiritual battle going on right now, every day of your life for your soul. That Satan came to steal, to kill, and destroy, seeking to devour and devote your life to destruction. That's what Satan wants to you. And And I'll tell you this, it's clever. It's cunning. What does culture tell us? Hey, dabble in it. It's not a big deal. What's the worst that could happen? Two drunk people, you're just hanging out. Like We see these things, the ramifications of it, the Me Too movement, all the things that happen badly whenever we're in a state of intoxication and not in a state of sobriety. And the world we wanna paint it as funny and it's just a joke and it's a good time and we're laughing about it. It's funny till it's not funny. But that's what Satan wants for you is he wants you to just be casual, He wants you to be comfortable so that he can come in and destroy your life. It's a real battle that you're going through. It's a real battle that we face in life. And there is an enemy seeking to knock you off of the will that God has for your life, of the plan that God has for your life, of the purpose that you were created for. And if we're not sober-minded, if we're not watchful, we're gonna miss it, we're not gonna see it. We have to understand that there is a spiritual battle going on. That's why being sober-minded matters so much. The second thing is this. Life is fleeting and the days are evil. This is what Ephesians 5, 15 through 20 says. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Notice the, 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 the compare and contrast, right? Between 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Ephesians 2, 15 at the start says, look carefully 
You gotta pay attention to what's going on. Some of you all, I want you to evaluate why do you even approach alcohol the way you do tonight? What has led you to think about those things the way that you have? Maybe you've never looked carefully at this situation, but I'm challenging you to look carefully. And you might be sitting in here tonight and thinking, I don't struggle with that. I've never drank a drop in my life. I don't have any problems, like I'm good. But are you living in a sober-minded way? Are you calm and collected in the spirit? Is that something that characterizes your life? It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Like, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What on earth does the word debauchery mean? That's a tough word to even say, all right? I was worried all week that I was gonna mess that up. Confession. All right, but I got it. I think I did. A life lacking and abandoning morality. A life that is lacking and has abandoned morality. That what does drunkenness lead to? It leads to a life that is lacking and abandoning morality. The standard of morality that God has set forth for your life. And so very, very clearly right here, like we're being warned, hey, you gotta pay attention. You gotta pay attention because you can very easily be led astray. I don't want that for your life. Understand what the will of the Lord is. I want to know that for my life, right? And at the end of this passage here, here's the very important thing. If you miss anything else tonight, hear this. It says, don't be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Spirit with a capital S, referring to the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. And that's something in our Western culture and in this day and age that might seem weird, but don't be drunk with wine, don't be filled up with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What that's referring to is that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, what he has promised us, the same thing that he promised his disciples We just had Easter, right? And after Jesus, as Jesus was marching towards the cross, he promised his disciples, I've got a helper coming for you. I've got somebody coming for you, a counselor, a guide. And what he was promising us is that as followers of Christ, that we would have the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we would have the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? It helps us in all these different situations. It helps us not to stray from the morality that God has set forth for our lives, but it pushes us back towards it. Can I tell you tonight that you're not naturally going to drift towards God? You're a sinful and broken person, and I am too. My natural tendency is not to drift towards God, to drift away from him. And maybe you've never taken a step in God's direction. The the, the song we sang before this said, how great the chasm that lay between us. You know what did that? Your sin. I bet if we looked at the shame some people carry around tonight, some of it might be associated to drunkenness, some of it might have nothing to do with that. That sin, that heavy, that you don't wish anybody ever found out what you did, that's what laid a chasm between us and God because God is holy and he cannot know our sin. And so there was a chasm between us, a gap between us. But that wasn't the way that God intended it to be. God wanted a relationship with us, wants a relationship with us, wants a relationship with you. And in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to accept him. There's a big if in scripture, it's 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You might not think you can be clean, 
And on your own, you cannot be clean. But God sent his son Jesus to walk on this earth, a perfect and sinless life, to willfully march towards the cross, to take on the weight of your sin, the worst of the worst of you. He sent him for you. And then all you have to do to accept that is to call on the name of the Lord. That's what Romans says. And you'll be saved. That if you confess your sins, if you admit your sins, if you admit your guilt, then you will be saved. Romans 10, 9 says it, that if we, confess, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. That if we confess with our mouth, right, if we confess our sins and confess Jesus to be Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that's what we just talked about on Easter, that Jesus was killed on a cross, but three days later, he rose from the grave, overcoming death so that we could have eternity with God in heaven, fully healed. You can't have the Holy Spirit until you've humbled yourself and admitted the sin that's in your life. And the final point here in why does it matter to be sober is it matters because of this, is that we are called to live a life of holiness. 1 Peter 1.15 says this, says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And when we hear the word holiness, I think sometimes it's like, I don't know if I want to be like, a hol- like holiness, right? Like, is that like, is that, uh, it sounds kind of boring. It sounds kind of like, is that a fun life? And I'm here to tell you that what we don't talk about enough in the church is how good holiness feels. What you haven't heard before, if you grew up in church and you had a bad experience, what you might not understand is that when you live a righteous life, when you live a life that is not lacking in abandoning morality, when you're doing what God has called you to do, when you're living life the way that he has called you to live, when you're not in drunkenness but you're being sober-minded, you might not know how good it can be. Man, come on, somebody Christian in here, and you know when you, when you see that process of sanctification, when you see what that means is when you see yourself becoming more holy, becoming more Christ-like, how good that feels. I'm someone that struggled with anger, man, I still do. And when I can look at a situation and know I would have lost it in my marriage and I would have had an argument, but now I can say, not today, Satan, I'm not gonna get mad about that. When I can uh, you know, be tempted to lust after someone and instead I say, nope, not today, Satan, I'm not going on the explore page. I'm not gonna take a second look. I'm not gonna sit in that thought. Do you know how good that is to see when I see my friends years after year growing with Christ, growing in the relationship, growing in righteousness? Man, you might not have ever realized how good it feels Can I just tell y'all I have fun in life? Like I hope you, some of you out there that have fun too. I love my life, I have so much joy. I mean, there's hard times, everybody's got them. There's things that aren't fun, but man, I can tell you like, I, I have fun in my life on a regular basis. The people I hang out with who I've chosen to surround myself with, who are in my inner circle, who are believers, we have fun together and we honor God with our lives in pursuing that. You can have that. This is what that community needs to be. Can we have fun? We have fun last week. We'll have fun after this. Holiness feels good when you're pursuing it. We can't achieve it on our own. Can't do it on your own. Nothing to be arrogant about. Nothing to brag about. We didn't do anything to deserve it. Only through the Holy Spirit working in our lives can we have that. Man, it feels good to do things the way God has intended. 
And for some people, I just wonder like, do you you know what you're missing? Do you know what you're missing? I wanna close with with a story of a little bit uh, that I think speaks to the seriousness of this topic in a sense of uh, something that's been going on in my life personally. And uh, I'm, I'm a very blessed uh, man, I, I've had 30 years with my grandparents. And uh, some of y'all have grandparents still. Some of y'all have lost your grandparents. And, and hopefully you've, you've been able to have a good relationship with them. But I've had 30 years with my grandparents. And I'm so thankful for them. And they came to all my games, watching me strike out backwards when I was playing baseball. And like, they're there for me, you know? Hey, good game. No, I was terrible. I made three errors, but thank you, grandma and grandpa. Um, but I love them. And I've just been thinking, man, because uh, this, this is kind of what they've been going through is that three weeks ago, my grandfather, my grandfather had a heart attack and he was rushed to the hospital. He survived, um, but he's weak. He's not doing well. And I sit there, I'm like, I don't know how much time I've got with him. I don't know much, how much time he has left, but I'm very thankful. My grandpa's a believer. He's gonna go to heaven. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But he's not who he used to be. He's not the grandpa that I had in, in my youth. He can't move very well. He can't do the things he used to do. And so my grandmother is taking a lot of care of him. But six days after this heart attack, my grandma and my grandpa were sitting in their kitchen eating breakfast like they do every Saturday morning. And my grandma starts having a stroke. And my grandpa calls 911 and he goes over to her. He's weak, he just had a heart attack six days ago. And he's trying to hold her up and he gets too weak. He's supposed to care for, provide for, right? He's the man, he's, gonna, he's, he's doing that, he's her protector. He can't hold her anymore. Physically, he couldn't do it. She's, he's, my grandmother slipped out of my grandpa's arms, fell to the ground, hit her head on the ground, has a black eye. She has a brain bleed and, and they're not sure from it's, if, if it's from her hitting the ground or from the stroke. And I just thought like, man, I see the pain that my grandpa has from not being able to provide for my grandma the way that he once did. And that breaks my heart to see that because I know that it breaks his heart. And what I've sit there and thought about is like, that's gonna be me one day. There's gonna be a day where I can't take care of my wife anymore. There might be a day where I die tragically. You're all headed towards that. We're all headed towards that. And I gotta tell you in your young adulthood, the time to start thinking sober-minded is right now. Do you wanna waste 10 years of your life, maybe the most important decade of your life with silly stuff, with drunkenness? Man, the mission's too important. If you're a believer in here today, can I call you to be sober-minded? Life is but a vapor. My grandparents were young adults just a short time ago. It's a blip on the radar. Our life is fleeting, it goes fast. We're marching towards our end. But man, I wanna tell you, I wanna be as sober-minded as possible. God has a vision for each of your lives. God has a vision for my life. He has a purpose that he's put inside of my heart and your heart. And I wanna be so sober-minded that I don't lose track of that mission, that I can see the schemes of Satan and I say, no, not today. I won't go down that pathway. God's got too much for me. Man, don't you wanna be on mission? Do you wanna be sober-minded and approach God in the way that he has called you to? And if you're not a believer in here, What are you waiting for? You don't know when your end is gonna be. Don't wait till the end and it's too late. Will you humble yourself and will you admit your need for God? And maybe you have have sin struggles in your life and that you need to confess it. 
and you need to talk to somebody about it. And maybe you just need to process this. We have the altars open up here at the front at the end and the reason for that is for a moment of humility. It's for a moment of humbleness. You can come before God and admit what's going on. Maybe you need to come and you need to talk to someone and pray for someone. Maybe you need to come and confess and pass things. Maybe you just need to come and pray. God, I've got a vision, like you put this vision in my heart. Will you help me to stay sober-minded and will you help to keep my path straight? I'm asking y'all to stand and we're, we're, we're about to worship here in a second. I just wanna ask y'all to stand uh, again and I wanna just ask you like, man, will you, will, will you come? Will you do business with God? Will you approach your life with a sober attitude, with sober thoughts, knowing that the promises of God are better than the promises of anything else? Because sin is gonna write a check that it can't cash. Sin is gonna promise you happiness that will never be able to fulfill you. Only God can fulfill you in your life. Let's worship.